How do we address cybersecurity vulnerabilities? As electricity systems around the world digitalize in order to transition to renewable sources, they become increasingly vulnerable to cybersecurity attacks. Policymakers and utility operators are fighting a much sophisticated battle in order to keep any potential threat far away from their systems and their customers. Which are the most common threats, however, and what is the new profile of your average cybercriminal? These and more questions we're going to answer today. Welcome to the Smart Energy International podcast, your guide to innovation and trends in the global power and energy sectors. Hi, I'm Areti Daradimu, your host for today's episode about cybersecurity and utilities, how to solve and prevent cyber attacks. I'm joined today by three experts. John Welsh is the chairman of the OSGP Alliance Technical Committee. Hello, my name is John Wells. I'm chairman of the technical committee for the OSGP Alliance. The Open Smart Grid Protocol Alliance is a non-profit organization focusing on security, reliability and performance of the low voltage grid. My personal experience is 30 years in the technology industry with 25 years of that focused on telco which, as it turns out, is highly relevant and highly applicable to the evolution that's taking place in the smart grid. Emil Gurevich, Senior Security Architect of Networked Energy Services and a member of the OSGP Alliance. Hi, my name is Emil Gurevich. I am a Senior Security Architect at Networked Energy Services, and I work on smart grid product security and threat detection solutions. My background and skill set leans towards the offensive side of cybersecurity, so helping companies and utilities find their weak spots by actually hacking into their systems is how I got started. And both Danielson, Head of Metering and Installation at Sirius. Hello, my name is Boko Danielson. I serve as Head of Metering and Installation at DSO, located in Denmark, called Sirius. I've spent the last close to 11 years in the current position and uh, the last 25 years in the electricity and entrepreneurial side of the business as well. And I would like to kick off our conversation with a short introduction regarding the most recent cyber attacks, just in order to set the scene. Emil? Thanks already. Yeah, I think cybercrime continues to make headlines. Um, it's been a very busy couple of months. I think like this month, uh, T-Mobile had a data breach or they announced that they had a data breach that impacted 48 million customers. And the presumed hacker behind the attack claimed that they had 100 million accounts. So at least that's a little bit of a, a positive change there. Uh, in July, cybercriminals exploited this vulnerability in a third-party um, IT administration vendor called Kasaya, and they were able to route a ransomware attack through Kasaya systems and impact about a thousand companies. And that included the Swedish supermarket chain Coop, which I think had to close around 800 stores. Then, of course, we saw we saw the JBS food supplier or meat supplier was also hit by a ransomware attack that impacted farming and restaurant industries. Of course, I'm sure everyone has heard about the Colonial Pipeline incident where the operator shut down their pipeline operation in response to a ransomware attack, which had spillover effects on larger gas fuel supply in the U.S. 
And the list kind of just keeps going. We had a water treatment plant in Florida whose SCADA system was compromised or there was suspect to be compromised, and that had an impact as well. And I think there are some important takeaways from the current trends that we're seeing within cybercrime. One is that they have kind of changed behavior a bit in the sense that they are now very much focusing on prominent targets with very high value assets and deep pockets. So instead of sending malware into a network that just starts locking down files or encrypting them, they actually lurk around the networks for longer periods of time. They're looking for the crown jewel, the most high value assets they can find, and then they monetize it as good as they can in various ways. And I think that's an important observation to make because um, we don't just have these hit and run. We also have cyber crimes getting a lot of value into lurking around networks for a longer time. Also, if we look at our sector and with this threat profile in mind, we should acknowledge that we are continuing to develop and deploy new networks in our power grids. Smart metering systems is just one of them. And we're creating these new networks and creating opportunity for attack. And I think that is a very important point to raise, and it should be raised early in the process, the earlier the better. And the bigger our networks, the bigger we rely, or the more we rely on them, and the more opportunity for attack. So that was kind of my overall take on the current situation and how it applies to our situation. Yeah, thank you, Emil. And if uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is a relatively new trend, cybersecurity, if I can call it this. Back in the day, it was not as high on the energy agenda, at least, as it is now. All these cases you explained to us are relatively new, and we weren't that ready for them. Is that true, Bo? What do you think? I think you're absolutely right. Our first deployment of smart meters that took place some 12, 15 years ago. And uh, I remember from the tender material back then that security was mentioned, I think, in about three or four lines in a tender material covering maybe a thousand pages or something like that. So at least for for first generation smart meter rollout, I think uh, the whole cybersecurity aspect of things wasn't apparent at that time. In recent years, however, of course, cybersecurity has become uh, increased awareness about that also in the tender materials. But since DSOs, as I represent, our greatest threats would, of course, be a scenario where hackers would take over our smart meters and enable the breaker switch in the meters, leaving customers, for example, without power. That's, of course, is a worst scenario case, but it is something that we are and should be addressing. Cybersecurity wasn't a top priority when the meter rollout was done. So I think uh, it's highly relevant that the awareness is and has increased over the last few years. So as I understand it, we have a problem. How do we solve it? How do we defend our smart grid from cyber attacks? John? Thanks, Areti. I think we can all agree that the cyber criminal is constantly looking at ways to attack the smart grid. And the perspective that we have in the OSGP Alliance, and I think it reflects also uh, what's been talked about so far, is that the low voltage smart grid in particular is a soft target. Despite being a soft target, it's critically important to the supply of sustainable energy 
and it's critically important for the DSOs billing uh, and operational functions. When we look at uh, security and managing security, it's effectively about managing risk. And that means assessing the avenues of attack, the likelihood of an attack, whether you can actually spot the attack developing and what damage can be done through that attack. Now we see that many of the leading smart grid deployments focus on cybersecurity protection and regulatory compliance. And whilst this is critically important, we also look at it in the sense of focusing all of your home security budget on the locks. When you focus on locks, when you're thinking how to make your home more secure, you have to think, well, okay, what happens if I forget to lock one of my windows? What happens if I give a set of keys to a neighbor and they lose them? Uh, what happens if the regulatory standards that I rely on in designing in the design of these locks are flawed in some way? So when we look at defending the smart grid from cyber attack, whilst protection and regulatory compliance are very important, we actually believe that all of the parties involved in the supply deployment and operation of smart devices in the low voltage grid need to take part of a more active approach. And I'm looking forward to this conversation because I think we'll start touching on what that active approach might look like. Thank you, John, and thank you for this brilliant analogy. It makes total sense. Uh, Bo, do you have any further comments on the topic? Yeah, maybe just a short comment on what John has already explained, and that has to do with what's being done, what we are doing to sort of uh, catch up with the lack of awareness on the whole uh, cybersecurity part when, when the first generation meters were installed. And luckily, meters uh, today are much like small computers, and we have been able to sort of uh, improve on, uh, on firmware in the meters. We have been able to improve on head-end system and, uh, and back-end systems in terms of reaching a higher security level. But I basically think it's a, it's a job that's never fully done and you have to keep up. So maybe that should just be a, a short comment to what John has just told us. Yes, thank you, Bo. And I was thinking now that there's also the role of the regulator that can help or place some obstacles uh, in our way. So what role do you think regulatory compliance play in the smart grid, uh, Bo? I actually think it's very, very important since the regulatory side of the business is sort of creating uh, the the way or the the awareness and the possibilities that the DSO have in order to improve and make investments into different type of uh, stuff like security, for example. Luckily, some three to four years ago, for example, the uh, whole smart meters and the smart meter systems has been uh, moved into the DSO's IT contingency plans. And that has actually uh, caused or forced the DSO to prepare plans, contingency plans in the case of an attack of any uh, sort. It has also uh, forced the DSO to train kind of uh, scenarios. And that has very much helped and increased our awareness into uh, security because now it's mandatory. It's something that we have to do. It's decided by the regulators. So I think that has been a huge step forward. But then there is the sort of dilemma 
being that on one side, uh, we are uh, as DSO asked to do more in certain areas and improve, example, IT security, but other stuff as well. And on the same time, the regulatory uh, side of business are uh, sort of limiting the um, the amount that the DSO uh, have available to invest in the very same things. So it is kind of a dilemma and it is a balance constantly being debated between DSO and the regulatory parties. And it's not something that's easy and it's definitely something that takes uh, a lot of time. So there is a, a dilemma, but we are, I think, making progress. Good to hear, uh, Bo. John, I wanted to ask you also about the desired approach regarding regulatory compliance. What do you think? I think that's an important question, Areti. And when we think of regulatory compliance and, and protection, we, we do tend to think of them really as being a minimum and not and not really the desired approach to security that, that we should be thinking of, of aspirational. So regulation tends to be a bit more reactive. It tends to be generalized, so it's not specific to the detail of any DSO environment. And it also represents a view of security at a, at a point in time. So yes, regulatory compliance is very important. And we would certainly be taking the same line as Bo in that, yes, you have to follow that. You have to regard that as being where you need to be, but as a minimum rather than as a kind of final outcome. The other thing to bear in mind, I think, is that cyber criminals are also able to read the same standards as the regulatory body. So if you comply to regulatory compliance and think that that's enough, the cyber criminals know what it is you've put in place to protect your organization. And then that moves us on to protection. And again, implementing the best available protection is always going to be important. But we start looking again at protection as being a response to a mechanism of attack. We want to start looking at how to work in effective deterrence so that the cyber criminals are actually starting to be perhaps a little bit more fearful about attacking the grids. And protection, in the same way that you have locks on your doors and windows, that's not about deterrent, that's just about making it harder for someone to get in. So in a way, we're talking prevention, not only fighting the cyber criminal after the attack, but how to prevent it. Do you see issues that current security environment offers optionality, uh, Bo? Yeah, I actually think that you should be aware of, of optionality in terms of security. What I think is that security should be embedded in the solutions from the very start. It shouldn't be an add-on. And today, when we're dealing with smart meters, you tend to have a lot of different systems all integrated into one another. And if you, on top of that, try to put different solutions to all those different kinds of systems, I'm almost certain that you will miss something and the attackers will find a way uh, through. So I think security isn't something that could be switched off or maybe only partly implemented. So be aware of optionality when it comes to security. It should be a, a part of the solution from the very start. Emil, given what Bo already told us, 
and your experience, your vast experience. Should we trust optionality in security? What do you think? I think Bo is absolutely right. As attackers, we really like optionality. We like flexibility. We like having the operators make a lot of very sensitive decisions and integrating different systems from different generations into one aggregate. Those are all great places for vulnerabilities to occur and where attackers are really looking. So it is very important uh, that we focus on those joineries of the systems and we look critically at the products that we rely on. I don't think any kind of product that goes into a power grid should have an optional security setting. It shouldn't be up to the utility to make sure to opt in to cybersecurity. That should really, as Bo said, be built in from the beginning and something that the vendor should be able to demonstrate. So yeah, I can only agree and just say that from attacker's perspective, uh, this is exactly where we're looking in all of these complex systems and flexibilities. Another issue, I would say, uh, Emil and everybody, is this uh, strange way of collaboration between uh, cyber criminals. It used to be something in the dark uh, web or whatever, and now it's becoming more and more public. So I would like to ask all of you a question. I will start with John, however. Are you worried that, uh, that cyber criminals are developing means to attack you and making those means public? Yes, definitely, definitely worried about that. I think the important point is for DSOs not to assume that because their security may be unique for them, that that in itself protects them. So when when an attacker looks at uh, developing a way to exploit a weakness, they're, they're looking at it as a business case. Many of these attackers are, in a sense, business people. They'll look at the effort it takes to develop an attack and the outcome that they can achieve with it. And once they've invested that effort, They'll be looking to see how they can reuse it, reapply it. And that starts leading to a commoditization of the, the tools, the experience and the methodologies that have been used to mount the attack. So no matter how unique a DSO may think their security is, the cyber criminals will have some level of commoditized attack which can be applied to that DSO. So the way that we look at it is that it, it's making sure that you don't assume that the security mechanisms provided by the DSO suppliers are actually sufficient in their own right. You know, don't don't just assume that. Run penetration tests and also don't just rely on the standard IT and the OT style of penetration tests. It's important to use penetration testers that know how cyber criminals will attack the low voltage grid. Makes total sense. Um, Bo, any comments, especially on the general awareness part? Uh, no, I absolutely agree with, uh, with John. And of course, it is something that we are worried about. And in our case, what's happening is that many different DSO have sort of uh, the same system going, uh, more or less same meters coming from the same vendors and stuff like that. So one attack which succeeds in one DSO could very likely succeed at another DSO. So it is something that we are concerned about and, and, and worried about. And just to make a follow up on John's point in terms of uh, running tests and uh, and sort of try to keep up. That is something that is being done. And, and that's why, going back to my point earlier on, 
why I'm happy to see actually that that now the DSO are uh, are sort of uh, obliged to make sure to perform and run these kinds of uh, tests. And then you can also always discuss is that level enough or should you on your own agenda raise the bar? And and I think the later is is, is better. Thank you very much, Bo. Uh, Emil, I would like also your comment, especially for the dark side of things, the dark web I already touched upon. Yeah, I think that the cyber criminal marketplaces are interesting. It's not just this one-stop shop, Amazon kind of store. It's kind of more spread out and each little branch caters for a specific criminal need. Um, and the point that Bo raised that one attack that works against DSO-1 uh, should also work on DSO-2 because there's a lot of shared technology and, and so forth, creates an incentive for criminals to develop exploit kits that work across utilities or across many different utilities. And we are seeing um, development of not specifically exploit kits for smart grids, but there are more sophisticated exploit kits that look at more esoteric systems like within the power grid or SCADA systems and so forth. I think there is a growing interest from the criminal marketplace to look at these new technologies because they are new and they might look soft, but we are in a situation where they are tooling up, right? All of these new networks, they're new to us. We're rolling them out. There's a lot of new technology and innovation that goes into digitalizing a smart grid and the criminals also have to catch up which gives us some time to, to be proactive for once in security. We can actually start to implement visibility into our networks and we can kind of take the first step, I think, in, in a lot of cases. So yeah, that's my point about the, the dark web. There is a growing interest for sure. And uh, we have, I think, a good opportunity to be proactive in addressing future issues. Thank you, thank you, Emil. And I know I am insisting now a little bit uh, on protection. But I want to ask you, Emil, do you see any limitations in the current focus on protection? Do we have all the right tools or the needed tools? And are we allowed to use them? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't think we have all of the tools in place for the critical networks that we are rolling out. For example, the smart metering system is sometimes a very kind of like a black box that the IT security team can't really look into because it was kind of deployed separately and the integration with the security team and this new network is not optimal and they don't have a whole lot of visibility. And I think that is a very dangerous situation to be in because this smart metering system as Bo raised has a lot of capability, disconnects is a possibility. You have a lot of data that is received or is getting out of that network and being used to drive business decisions on the back end systems. There's a lot of value in those networks. And I don't think we have the security tools currently to look into those black boxes, make sure everything is actually working as expected, picking up on suspicious activity and detecting breaches and responding to them effectively and so forth. I do think there is a lack of tooling and there is a lack of process and technology and just people thinking about these issues when it comes to the low voltage grid of smart grids. If you go look at current tender documents for new smart metering systems, you will find maybe a little more than a few lines <laughs> that Bo mentioned in the very beginning. 
the early tenders. The newer tenders, they have sections on security, but they very much just look at the protection level. It's basic requirements like there needs to be data encryption in place to prevent attackers from reading data in the network. This is basic stuff, but there is very little in the way of uh, enabling utilities to run, you know, to simulate cyber attacks as an incident response exercise or making sure that monitoring is provided throughout these systems uh, so that we can detect threats early and so forth. So I think there's an emphasis on protection for good reason, but we are lacking on the detection and response phases. Thanks, Emil. Go any further comments on the subject? Yeah, just to maybe wanted to say that, in my opinion, what we have done is, is we have created this whole independent grid or network containing a lot of end nodes being the smart meters. And it has been, like Emil said, it has been done very much like we would roll out any other electrical assets in our electrical grid without much attention on the collaboration with the IT and IT security in specific. And what I had been thinking about is that the network that we've been created, that we are sort of in the dark. We have a, when it comes to our normal TCP IP internet network, we have a lot of security there. We have firewalls and so forth put in place, monitoring uh, traffic on those uh, networks. But when it comes to the network that are being created together with the smart meter rollout, we are sort of in the blinds there. We have no really good way of monitoring traffic or incidents happening in those kind of networks. So I think in that respect, in my opinion, as Emil said, we are uh, we are lagging in that respect. And that proposes, of course, a risk, a potential risk. Yeah, I, I would just like to add uh, that in Denmark, there is this nonprofit organization called Inegisat, and their objective is to lift the cybersecurity level um, across our energy sector. I think that's a great initiative, and it also indicates that there is now a national concern that we really need to have more emphasis and focus on cybersecurity within the energy sector. So would it be an idea for us, and when I say us, I mean utilities, I mean governments, solution providers, companies, to, to go more proactive against cybercriminals, to put in place perhaps an effective uh, deterrent? Emil? Yeah, absolutely. As attackers, when we are targeting a network and perhaps we're within, we breach the network, if we don't feel like we're being watched, we're going to be moving much faster and we're probably going to be pivoting into critical systems that we might have been a little hesitant to enter if it wasn't for the fact that we didn't have any monitoring, right? So I think we can take an active approach in really getting really good visibility into these critical networks as a first step. And then making sure that we can track movements and track suspicious activity so that when there is an incident, uh, we have this long timeline of events and perhaps that leads to prosecution. Maybe that leads to attribution of the attackers. And perhaps we can create a very good story around this utility with visibility and threat detection and incident response was able to catch an attacker in the act, make this a positive cybersecurity headline. And I think that is a kind of a deterrent for your common cyber criminal to read an article that said, you know, Sirius had 
had this incident that they came out on top of. They caught the attacker in the act. Maybe the cyber criminal will look at other utilities that that isn't serious. And I think that's that's one of the points that uh, John Wales um, brought up earlier about deterrent. We need more success stories around cybersecurity. It cannot just be bad attacks every single day, you know, uh, and that creates deterrent for for cyber criminals. I think. Yes, you're you're absolutely right. I think a little bit more transparency could also be, uh, let's say, a tool for us. But what about the threat of multi-vector attacks, uh, John? Hi, Areti. Uh, thanks for the thanks for that question. So I think the key here is really how the low voltage smart grid security is integrated into the overall corporate security. So I think it's clear. Uh, from what uh, Emil was saying, that an attack, even if it originates in the low voltage grid, can move its way into the into the core fabric of the IT within the organization through the various pivots and uh, vulnerabilities that are encountered along the way. So this is where modern uh, security information and events management platforms really come in. They're designed to be able to take information from multiple uh, security systems, each one focused on a, on a domain of the business, and integrate the security incidents from each of those domains and develop the, a kind of corporate-wide appreciation of what's going on. So the low-voltage smart grid is just one of many systems that should be feeding uh, security information into these SIEM uh, platforms. But it, it isn't just about the technology and the monitoring systems. It, it's about ensuring that the IT policy recognizes that the smart grid exists as a standalone IT deployment. So we also need to make sure that uh, corporate security teams know about this new technology and they're ready for the specific attacks it, it'll face. I think Bo made a very, very good point early on that deploying smart meters, uh, it's a new technology and the approaches from IT and OT, some of them apply generally to the, the smart grid, but not, not entirely. So it's a case of using modern scene platforms to integrate information from the low voltage grid into that wider context. Thank you very much, uh, uh, John. And um, in order to, let's say, conclude this very interesting, I think, conversation, I would like to ask each and every one of you to summarize, please, the best approach, in your opinion, uh, for the security in the low voltage uh, system. Uh, great. John, would you like to start? Okay, thanks, Areti. I'll, I'll start with that, yes. So when all is said and done, uh, the cyber criminal will target the smart grid, and I think uh, especially they'll be looking at the at the low voltage grid. It's it's potentially a softer target for them to uh, attack. And we're really all just or just potential victims in that. I think the key point is to make sure that the people, the organization and the technology in the in the ecosystem that the DSOs are building around them has the ability to think like the criminal and actually show the same passion that the criminal has in attack, but applied to cyber defense. And 
The OSGP has a role in there, but also all suppliers into the smart grid industry have an important role and an important obligation to think like the criminal and show the same passion they show, but for defence. Thank you, John. Emil, uh, any thoughts? Yeah, I I, uh, I agree with John. I would add on that uh, building a security culture within a utility, especially in departments that didn't normally have to think about cybersecurity, it was never kind of a problem that they had to even think about. Now it's top of the agenda. That shift in just thinking about cybersecurity is important to address. And we can't just do that with technology, but we can use technology to enable it. For example, run through incident response exercises using a tool that can simulate attacks on your grid, because that really gives people that are not normally dealing with cybersecurity incidents an insight into what could actually happen. And I think it's an eye-opener for a lot of people. When I worked with the meter department, it's, I was often asked, why would anyone hack the smart metering system? Why would, is it just to lower my bill? And it's an honest question, and it's a very good question, but it also indicates that there is not enough cybersecurity awareness within that department. So yeah, I, I just wanted to add on a point about uh, building awareness and creating kind of a security culture within these organizations is very important. Thank you very much, Emil. And uh, now, uh, last but certainly not least, uh, Bo, your, your thoughts? That would just be to to elaborate further what, on what Emil and John has already been saying. I think, think what we can do and what we should do and what we are doing as, uh, as DSO is to make sure that the awareness that is increasing that, and we have achieved already, that should be used in terms of uh, describing future uh, tenders, for example, not only to make sure that the product that you're uh, investing in at the moment is secure, but also making sure how to keep up after the implementation phase is over. How do you uh, keep track? How do you keep up with the security level of that equipment being meters or otherwise? And I think that's probably the next step that we will have to take and we will have to formalize into tenders, into policies, and also into education, as Emil just talked about, to the employees who's actually operating the equipment. I think that's probably the next logical step for us to take as DSOs. Thank you, Bo. Thank you, Emil and John, for this very interesting and insightful discussion on a subject that concerns us all. Thank you for joining us on the Smart Energy International podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Networked Energy Services. For more podcasts, you can visit the Smart Energy International website at smart-energy.com. Be sure to tune in again soon for more conversations and insights into the things that really matter to our industry. Until next time, I'm Aretit Daradimu, and you've been listening to the Smart Energy International podcast. <laughs>